Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a chief evangelist? That's what we're exploring at chiefevangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the wealth tech industry's first fractional chief evangelist, and certainly one of the world's first fractional chief evangelists. So we'll be talking about the excitement, emotion, and motivation that can be achieved through attention, magnetism, and intention, as well as the pros and cons of hiring and executing evangelism as a fractional service. Diana Cabrises, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Ethan, thank you so much for having me for that wonderful introduction, and I am so excited to dive in. I mean, I've been following you and your work, and it feels very surreal to me to be on the podcast today. Love it. You were, um, I, I really enjoyed where you were when we first connected and where you are today. As, as this episode releases, you will already have launched the first fractional chief evangelist service in that industry. Uh, and we're obviously going to spend a lot of time in that, but I want to start with the most important job of an evangelist is you go out and start talking with people about, Hey, I've got this chief evangelist service for hire. Um, you know, what, what are some of the most important elements uh, in starting that conversation with folks? Yeah. So I'd say first and foremost, uh, you know, and I, I'll start with this. Every chief evangelist I feel is going to have a different talent. And so that's going to lead to different outcomes. But in my world of, you know, serving up as a fractional chief evangelist, I think the most important thing and job of an evangelist is to evoke emotion and more specifically to excite people. And that in turn is going to motivate them to take action. Well, whether that's, you know, purchasing your product or going to learn more about it or using your product and adopting it in a better way than they were previously. So from sales to customers to partners and prospects, the main goal is to evoke emotion that then turns into motivation, which we know builds loyalty for the product, builds trust with the people through evoking emotion. You, you can only really do that human to human in, in many ways. And so it just leads into all these greater things that most people would answer this question and say, like, you know, demand generation for the business, or again, better product adoption. And it all starts with evoking emotion. Love it. I agree regarding emotion. I just read a really interesting piece today that, that, tried to bridge the gap between emotion and motivation saying emotion wasn't enough but I don't I thought that it was it's such a particular thing I mean those they're cloths of the same thread like you I don't think you can peel them apart or separate them it's not even a knot they're the same thing I think um and if they weren't then a machine could do these things but yeah. you mentioned human to human spend a minute on that like why is the human element so important and perhaps even more specifically why is it so important in the space that you're in? Yeah, well, when we work in the technology world, especially post-COVID, right, a lot of us have become disconnected or, you know, we're dealing with cold experiences versus warm and friendly. Everything is so instantaneous. And, you know, now many SaaS companies, you can sign up and purchase and buy a product within a few minutes without even having talked to an employee or anyone at that, you know, organization, be it a customer or be it an employee to really build that connection. And I think when you start with human, and there's nothing wrong with this sort of automated checkout process, by the way, but you have to ask yourself, well, what is that going to do long-term? What's the attrition look like with customers who never even talk to one of our employees? Um, going back to the, starting with human to human, it, it builds that relationship. And as I said a moment ago, it builds that trust, especially when you have a human that really understands your problem that can talk to you and relate to you and almost pull it out of you, things that you as maybe a, a customer or a potential customer may have not even recognized yourself. And that just leads to such a greater relationship and more meaningful, deeper relationships. And you can only really do that between two humans. Yeah, you can have the greatest technology and the smoothest and sleekest UI and UX, 
but only the best companies have human inserted into that process. Maybe it's a video, maybe it's a phone call. And I think in the world of technology, especially in the arena where I play, which is all about serving financial advisors, you know, there's a great chunk of financial advisors that are older and that don't really love having to implement a lot of technology in their business. They'd rather talk on the phone with me for an hour than actually get moving on getting the technology implemented. But let's work with that, right? Like there's something there to be said about that because you form that relationship with them, you guide them through, and they're just so much more again, motivated or excited about using the product, about building it into their practice. And again, you can really only do that human to human. Yeah. So interesting. What you triggered for me in that was, um, and by the way, that was spoken like an evangelist, this idea of like, I know this is what you want to do, but like, I'm going to do what it takes to bring you to this transformation um, because it's so important to me and to you. And even if you don't understand it yet, um, you triggered for me the idea of like, even in, let's just call it product led growth, this idea that, you know, the, uh, the inner, the, the initial impression, the interaction, the sampling and the ultimate purchase could all be done without a human. I still think in that motion, the role of an evangelist perhaps could even be elevated because whether it's a webinar or a stage presentation or some other kind of interaction with a human representing the problem, representing the product at some level and creating that the pieces to kind of close some of the gaps and to create some of that excitement and to provide that forward momentum to carry you through this otherwise, you know, uh, non-human experience um, can play a really valuable role. So I love, A, your commitment to going fractional. I think it's super interesting. I'm excited for you. Uh, and B, I love the story behind it. And so to the depth that you want to, Please share like from your first impression of like, oh, evangelism, I didn't know that was a thing to, I think I want to be a chief evangelist to, I think I'm going to need to be a fractional chief evangelist. I think that's my best path. Like break that down for us, stop wherever you want and I'll get you back on track. But like okay. your story is so compelling. Your passion for it um, is, is magnetic. I guess I'll use a word that, that word that's come up already. Um, and I'd love for you to share it with folks that are listening. I'd love to share. And if you're listening, sit down and grab a coffee because this one might get a little long and Ethan, keep me on track. Sure. But a quick side note, we're also on YouTube. We put the whole episode up on YouTube and highlights from every episode too. So if you go to youtube.com slash at chief evangelist, you can actually watch too. I said, listen, I just wanted to qualify that for everyone. Sorry That's to interrupt. Right. We are on camera. Yes. Let's yeah. humanize it a little. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I will say for as long as I can remember, I have been evangelizing any organization that I've been a part of. And, you know, whether that's me as a young child in school, you know, being the narrator, playing Queen Bee, getting people excited about character day, that, that was just part of my story. And then, you know, when I actually started in the workforce, every company I worked for wanted to put me at the front of the business. And, you know, it was the face, it was the getting on calls with customers, it was recording testimonials, speaking on stages, or making the company's demo video to place on the website and help the marketing team out. It, that's usually been my story. And so earlier this year, so I want to say, maybe, you know, towards the beginning of the summer, um, I, you know, I had a boss at the time ask me, what is it that you love the most about your job? And what do you not love the most about your job? And I really want you to think of these things. And at the time, I my role was vice president of enterprise development, and I was managing a team. And there was so much work all the time. In fact, there was so much pressure and stress because I was wearing a million hats because again, I was being the evangelist for the company while also you know having and running a team that holds quota, having quota myself. Uh, I just, my, my relationship started suffering. My, my significant other, my family, I was ignoring people. I was always just like, God, can I get a minute to myself? And that's when I started really asking those questions and it inspired me to go online and search. Well, I knew I loved speaking. I knew I loved being, you know, the person customers loved and looked forward to talking to. I, I feel I'm a pretty great communicator and I can take complex things and make them really simple. I believe and have a lot of passion around technology and what it can do to make business owners more productive, specifically financial advisors. I'd been working with them mostly my entire career. And then I found your blog series on evangelism. 
And I'm like, okay. I knew of one chief evangelist in our entire industry and she is fantastic. I respect her a lot. In fact, we've been on multiple stages together. And I said, well, let me dive deeper here. And I spent the entire weekend listening to your, your podcast interviews and reading the blog and anything else I could get my hands on, which by the way, from that moment until now, call it six, seven, eight months, the amount of content around tech evangelism has skyrocketed, which is really exciting. Um, but I knew, I knew I was convinced after call it 24 hours of reading nonstop and listening that this was the role for me. I knew number one, that, but I knew number two, I had already been doing it. I'd already been going out and traveling and speaking multiple times a month in person. I had been running webinars every other day through our partnership channels. I had been just consistently evangelizing the problem, also the product and the brand itself, the entire company. And so that was the moment when I said, all right, let's make this formal. <laughs> and you always talk about the career risk with that, which is funny. Um, and in making that formal, I said, well, I need someone to take over my role. I need a successor. And at the time, we had recently acquired a company. There was someone there doing a similar role as me just on that enterprise sales function side. And I thought, okay, here's my shot. And so I, I reached out to him and I said, hey, do you have any interest in taking over the role? And you know, here's all the things that you'll have on your plate. He was pumped. He was, it was his dream. And so I then began the work of building a proposal to pitch to the company I was at to make me their chief evangelist. And you were such a wonderful help during that process, Ethan. I can't miss on saying that. So um, in the end, how, how did I go from, all right, there's this proposal to now I'm launching my own business being a fractional chief evangelist. This might be an area where there could be, you know, moments that others can learn from, which I would, of course, love. In the end, the CEO of the company was super excited about the vision. Uh, I think the word evangelist is kind of difficult for any company to swallow because it is so heavily tied into the, you know, the world of religion. And, um, but there was a lot of conversations that we had had and, you know, I just, with everyone, it was a little more eye-opening to him how this would help the marketing department, how this would help him as CEO. We had launched a conference earlier that year. We knew there was a ton of work to be done just to evangelize that. Um, and he was really, he was really excited about it, but as with any business, right, there are things to consider. There's your board, there's your right-hand person, your COO, there's your president. You know, we just expanded. Now we have a president, the CMO, we need to, you know, think about what he might take on having a chief evangelist. And in the end, Ethan, it just wasn't the right time for them. And I, I've thought about even just sharing this a lot because, you might ask the question, well, when is the right time? And I really don't think there's one single answer to that. I think it's different per company, depending on what their goals are and also who their leaders are and what they believe in. And if they really believe in something like this. So it wasn't the right time. So I really had probably 30 days of like, okay, I have found this world of evangelism. I've been doing it. It's the number one thing I love about my job the most. But I am being told that it's not going to work right now and I need to stay doing X, Y, Z. And I just didn't want to do it. <laughs> I just didn't want to do it. I just knew, no, I can't let this get in the way of this mission. It's, it's almost like I feel like I'm on a mission with this whole thing. And so I resigned from my job, which was probably the craziest thing anyone would ever do, especially the company I was with. We are, you know, we have a great brand. And a lot of that is because of the evangelism looking back. Definitely not the only thing, but a lot of it is. And I just knew in my heart, all right, it's time to go out on my own. But I also knew the risk, right, involved with trying to just get latched onto one company and be that one chief evangelist for that one company. There's risk. Clearly, there was a risk in me, you know, giving my role away and jumping at the opportunity of trying to convince them to make me chief evangelist full time. But I think there's a lot less risk when it's fractional, when it's, hey, you're not doing much evangelizing at all. And, you know, this is in every company, but for the ones that are good for me, but what if you started with just a little bit of evangelism, right? And then we got to start and see, okay, what kind of traction is this creating? And so that, that is the biggest purpose of my business model today. It's, you know, number one, 
I don't have to latch onto one company and that hedges risk for myself. But also not only that, I work in a very niche industry and what this company is doing for advisors and this company is doing for advisors, it likely complements one another. And so there's this beauty in being able to serve maybe three or four companies at one time, constantly amplify their story, the problem that they're solving, and then even tie them all together in a way that makes sense um, to the end person, which is the financial advisor. Okay, so much there. And I'm going to try to recap it so that we don't lose these things. Just your own observation, which I've not been doing that work, but just the rise of tech evangelism, I think maybe we'll end there about like, you know, a future orientation. Because I think you observed in searching and discovering and trying to validate your own instinct and ideas, um, probably the same thing that I was feeling that was like, I feel like now's the time to start this podcast because people want to talk about it. People want to hear it. There's a lot of conversation around it. I also really appreciate this idea of um, when is someone ready? When is someone not ready? So we'll talk a little bit about that, but I guess I'll go, I'll go at that from a slightly different angle. I really like this idea of um, testing out evangelism in a fractional way as a way for a company, not just you, but for the company to explore it. And I could see, you know, after a six or a 12 or a 24 month engagement, you might hand it off to, you might help them find the right permanent person. Or I could also potentially see a scenario, maybe not where you're so enamored of everything going on there. And you're so bought in yeah. yourself that you become that person. Okay. So just spend a, spend a minute on, cause I know um, we're recording this in December. This is releasing, I think in February. So the, it, this will already have launched. I know that you're already out there talking with people, um, I know that you've already got some positive um, uh, commitments. Yep. Talk a little bit about how these conversations are going and how warm, like, how warm do you feel like this idea already is in the market and you're going to close a gap that exists versus how much you're going to have to evangelize for evangelism mm -hmm. in order to, to get momentum and, and allow people to try this out and figure out whether the time's right for them and what the right fit is for them. Yeah, I think it'll definitely be a, a blend of the two um, and a balance. So far, conversations have been pretty positive. Now, if I were to have launched this in, you know, the greater technology or greater world of technology, I may not have that same response right now. But I am launching this in a niche industry where I spent the last six years in very much the public eye. And so I'm well known. And so when you get that, you know, tackled on, it's almost like influencer marketing mixed with evangelism marketing. And I know some evangelists really hate to use the term influence, but there's a lot of that. And so, so far it's been, well, you've got distribution, you know, you have the network and you've worked with thousands of advisors over the years. You're constantly talking to them, understanding their business model at all of these events. For them, it's a no-brainer to have, you know, that one person carrying the torch and lighting up the market. So, uh, so far, positive. But I, I do attribute that a bit to just the, the influential side of it. Um, I think as we go deeper from like the initial conversation, and this is just, you know, based on conversations I've had in the past week. Yes, there's going to be more of like, okay, let's remind ourselves why this is important, right? Let's like, we, we, we got really excited in the beginning and you have a beautiful pitch deck and you clearly know how to communicate, but can you help us, you know, remind us how this ties back into revenue goals or, you know, any of the other company goals that they might have, which always point back to revenue. Um, and so there's that educating. So it's a big component of it. But um, the negative wise, I haven't really received it yet. I just might not have had that many conversations. I can imagine people objecting to, well, you're, you know, you're, you're going to dilute your voice. You're only going to, you know, you're going to talk about us and then you're going to talk about them. But that's where you have to be very intentional with evangelism. And that's why they say, if you just evangelize unintentionally, you're not going to get the same efforts as if it were intentional. So we look at, well, you know, I spend Mondays doing this. Tuesdays doing that, Wednesdays doing that. And then again, finding kind of that common thread for the end user, which is financial advisors. Um, and I, I think it's going to work well and I'm hopeful it will work well, but so far it's been pretty positive. 
I really am interested in this idea. I'll sh- I'll set this up from my my impression. I'd love for you to kind of speak to it again because I think this is a big difference. I think this is an objection some people might have. I want to draw a very clear line between what you're doing and we'll get a little bit more specific about kind of like maybe what's on the menu of services and directions that you're mixing and matching to find the right fit for this this company and where their their stage and who's on board and what their strengths and weaknesses are and all these other things. But I want to draw the line between evangelism and influencer marketing. I saw a LinkedIn post probably, it may may even be a year ago now that someone was like, I think, you know, uh, companies in this particular space should be hiring people like name drop, name drop, name drop to be uh, the chief evangelist for them. And I'm like, that's not evangelism, that's influencer marketing. And the line that I think that, that we can draw here, and again, I want, I'd love your take on this. An influencer in my mind and in my observation, in my experience, is someone who has built their own platforms, they have their own brand and their own media brand, and they're now selling access to that audience and access to that platform to other people on a temporary basis in some kind of a financial arrangement. Yep. I just in in working with you and talking with you um, over the past several months is obviously dramatically different. And evangelism isn't about a company leveraging your distinct voice and audience and platform to hawk their wares. It's plugging into their organization. Yeah, you have you have your own network and you have people that would do anything that you asked of them, maybe within some kind of a constraint. Um, you know, you have influence and you have a platform, but that's not what you're selling. Nope. Nope. It's not what I'm selling. I mean, I think it's important. I think it makes it more attractive for any of these tech firms, but you're right. It's not what I'm selling. I am selling my knowledge of their customers and their pain points and their challenges and the fact that I've worked with them for as long as I have, and I have a deep understanding of that. And so with that knowledge, we take what your product does, the problem it solves, and we tell the right story to make sure they understand, they get excited about it. Again, they they have emotions when it comes to your brand and they want to use your product more and more and they want to go sing the praises of your product too. So I, I think there's a line, but I agree that it is definitely two different worlds. Um, I just think with all things chief evangelist, right? It looks a little different everywhere. Totally agree with that. And that's the joy of this, of, of hosting this podcast and having all these different types of conversations. And by the way, um, for folks listening in for you, Diana, um, because I don't think it's released by the time we're recording this, but episode seven with Yvonne Hyman, um, she's doing a, not, it's not fractional, it's a completely different angle, but she's also outside the company, but doing work on behalf of companies like Agora Pulse and ClickUp. Um, so if people are interested in this whole dynamic that we're talking about here, episode seven, we talked about it in a different way then. Um, and that's why I qualified one of the world's first uh, fractional chief evangelists. I'm like, I don't know if they call themselves that, but this, people are definitely in this zone for some of the reasons you've already you've already mentioned. I also want to try to draw a line between um, like a branding and marketing consultant, right? You're not just developing messages. You're also bringing them to market, which is the, so this is this unique zone in between, like it has maybe some elements of influencer, but not as many, I don't think you're definitely helping them with some branding and marketing work, but you're not plugging into their marketing. You're actually bringing this to life, voicing it and, uh, embodying it, uh, which is a unique angle. So maybe I guess to the conversations you've had to date, talk about how you've described the gap between, or not the gap, but the difference between evangelism and kind of traditional marketing branding or even sales work. Yeah. So this is an important one because I've had a company say, well, we have no marketing team, so we need your help. And that scares the crap out of me. Totally. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a full-blown marketing machine. Um, And that's called a fractional CMO. Yes. There are tons of those. There are, and they're very important. And we, I would say, complement each other in so many beautiful ways. Um, But yes, you know, defining the messaging, defining strategies around how we'll get to market, how, you know, what social channels we're going to play and what conferences we're going to go to. uh, That's all very important. And that's an important part of what an evangelist should do for any company, because it's all about evangelizing through these channels. But it's so much more than just doing that. I, I like to think of it as you know, your marketing team is more of the operational platform and the brain. 
and they're going to execute and they're going to publish and they're going to schedule and they're going to run campaigns and they're going to make sure, you know, the qualified leads go in and hit the sales funnel. Those are all very important functions of marketing. But the evangelist is like the talent, right? It's the voice. It's the face. He or she, right, uh, is the voice or the face. And they're there to make sure they amplify some of the great work the marketing team is doing. But then they also come back and they help shape what some of the marketing team is doing. Because as you go out and evangelize, people will tell you, well, hey, I had a problem here, or hey, this could be a little bit easier. And I used to get this at every conference I would speak at for my last company. And then we immediately bring that back in. And so we change the tune of marketing, but even product, right? And I know you asked about marketing and branding and, and consulting and evangelism, but it goes so much greater than that too, right? It's going back to your product team, your product marketing team, your product development team managers and helping them be able to take that feedback as well and implement new things and features and you know fix bugs or all the things that product developers do. So I hope that answers your question, but yeah, uh, there it, is it a does. lot. Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect, Engage, Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of chief evangelist, let's get back to it. Yeah. I, I really appreciate the clarity on, and this is a point I just want to emphasize in case anyone missed it, um, or if you even caught it, I just want to plus it up a little bit. <laughs> um, it, this idea of because of your direct exposure and conversations in small groups and large groups and even one-on-one, -on -one, bringing some of that feedback back into the organization from out in the market that is not going to come through the traditional channels. Certainly some bug fix stuff um, is coming through the channels, but there are stories that you're bringing back that add some color. What are we actually supposed to do about it? I mean, it's one thing to say, this is broken. When you switch it, it doesn't do the thing. And you go, okay, so we need to make it so that it does the thing when you switch it. Um, yeah. That's a simple one. No one needs insight on that, but there, there are multiple solutions to slightly more complex problems, um, whether it's a product problem or even a messaging problem, that I agree with you completely that an evangelist is in a unique position to bring into some of those conversations internally because of the amount of time you're spending outside the market instead of deep inside the operations. Share from your, like, I know this is all just getting going. And we'll have to revisit this, uh, yes. you know, six months or twelve months Let's from now, and kind of double back on some of these things that we're that we're thinking about, and see how they manifest, um, and to see how you've evolved into it. But talk about some of the anticipated pros and cons of being fractional versus full time, from your perspective, and or from the company perspective. I think we already talked about one of the pros for the company. It allows them. To, to try it out. It gives them, and this is, uh, it gives them a guide to help do that as opposed to just trying to, Hey, we got someone internally that could be a good evangelist. So let's all try to figure this out together. You're coming with a studied background, um, some experience already doing it, et cetera. So we've already established some of the benefits, but talk a little bit about the pros and cons from your perspective and, or from a company perspective as you anticipate them. Yeah. So I think I'll start with the con. Uh, for myself, I think the con for myself um, and something I'm really going to have to work hard at is just not really being able to give my entire, you know, focus to one company, which what, you know, in turn means that we'll evangelize bigger and greater and faster and we'll experience some of the outcomes faster. Um, and so that that's definitely a, a disadvantage, right? Because I am having to fractionalize my talent and in, you know, one day wear this hat, the next day wear another hat, depending on the category that the wealth tech company is in. Um, and so I think that that could be a little challenging, but I'm, like I said, intentional is going to be the, the name of the game. And so I think being intentional will be very helpful. And that goes right back into the company, right? So disadvantage there is they're only getting a fraction of my time and maybe, you know, they want to hit certain goals in six months to a year that might take just a little bit longer because I'm only giving so much time to them. 
Um, now, the advantage on the other side, again, is for me, first and foremost, being able to tell greater stories. So not just the story of this one tech platform when there's over 800 in wealth tech and advisors probably need to be paying attention to at least a good chunk of them, but also being able to go and say, well, I know you have this problem too. And there's something really incredible that you need to know and understand about you know, this technology company or whatnot, what have you, this process, this framework, if you will, that you should be implementing to help you with that. And oh, by the way, you know, the way that all connects is just going to make you more productive in general. So I think there's um, a really big advantage to that. In fact, I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, I've never considered myself as uh, some sort of journalist or anything in that realm, but being able to get out there and start telling more of those stories, not just for one company, but for many, I think will, I think will be really um, gratifying and it's going to be really, really helpful. So disadvantages, advantages. Now, let me think about the advantage to the company because it depends on the type of company, right? There's smaller companies. I'm technically probably best fit for like a series A, you know, B2B wealth tech company, but certainly not glued to that in any way. Um, I believe every great company deserves an evangelist, be it tech or not. Um, but I think the advantage to the company having me fractional is really going to be best for those companies who've never really done this before, who don't really have a personality, if you will, in their in their brand, who haven't humanized their their company enough, their sales pipeline, their workflows, their customer experience could really use some of that human to human connection. And instead of them having to swallow that entire evangelism pill, they're just swallowing a little fraction of it. And I think that's going to be really powerful because it's going to give them a taste of what a function like this could do in their business. They'll, they'll hear it themselves. They'll see what customers are saying. The testimonials will come in. We're going to be spotlighting them. They'll see what that does. And in my eyes, it's magical, but I know that sounds super woo. So I try to stay away from that word in uh, business conversations, but it is. And so um, it's, it's just an easier start for them. Really appreciate that. And I want to double back into one of your advantages for yourself. And, and I think it, that also is going to be an advantage for companies. I think the more you do this work for, you know, two or three companies and you've created the space or maybe the, you know, the, the commitments, um, one of them lapses so you can create space. I think the more that you do that, the more value you're going to add to each one of those organizations on the kind of strategy, messaging, storytelling because I think you're going to develop an even deeper ecosystem view than anyone would operating from one perspective inside one company seeing, you know, there, yep. there's this, this, it's trite to say, but you know, the idea of like, everything looks like a nail to a hammer. Um, I think the idea of being more of a, I, I hate, I can't believe I'm walking this analogy out, but you know, a Swiss army knife, you're going to have, you're going to, you're going to bring more opportunities to these companies because of the different perspectives the depth of understanding, the interrelationship between the tools in a way that you wouldn't have if you were committed full in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a benefit both to the company and to their customers and their potential customers. Um, did that trigger anything for you? Or, and, or you can just say, you can tell me how bad that analogy was. No, <laughs> the analogy was great. Um, it, it, it just resonates with me and it just gets me thinking, honestly, because I'll say one big problem we have right now in our industry is so much technology is just, it doesn't talk to each other. It's not integrated in any way. And then you expect advisors were like throwing new technology at them every single day. The, the FinTech map has exploded yet they're, they're expected to adopt these tools and nothing's speaking to each other. And so they lose interoperability, which we know is very important to be productive. And they end up being less productive, which is the opposite of what any end outcome or goal is for technology. So I almost think that word opportunity that you said, it really just struck a chord because as I start, you know, evangelizing these different companies, imagine what kind of opportunities that brings in across the vertical of these companies to think about 
well, you know, Diana's telling some good stories and, and we can see the feedback is really positive. What if we added a little integration here or there, or in some way we, we connected the dots between what we do and what they do. And, you know, partnerships are a big play in, in our industry. Everybody wants to, you know, partner up and the, just the alliance, having alliances is really important. So I, I see opportunity there for sure. Yeah, me too. And it's um, it's partly your network and your relationships. I think it's also, you know, no one is going to hire you and you're not going to probably present the opportunity to be hired to companies that you don't have at least some pretty significant values alignment to. I guess talk to that angle. We haven't talked about that yet. And I think I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, I could see that being an objection of someone imagining this working or not. You know, there's going to be some standard that, um, you know, we've heard a variety of expressions. I'm thinking of something like the no asshole rule, which is like, don't ever hire them or don't ever work with yeah. them, you know, but, you know, like setting that aside, I think that's, that's about as, um, as about as much discrimination as there is around mm -hmm. this evangelism is a different level of commitment mm -hmm. because it is the intersection of who you are as a person, whatever personal brand you've built and someone else's brand and really needs to work both ways. And so um, there's going to be a lot of sensitivity there. I would assume that, that you'd be welcomed into a lot of companies in the space, but um, talk about any thoughts you've had around this kind of values alignment and who you'd be willing to work for and who you wouldn't, who you, who you would be a good fit for and who you wouldn't, not necessarily in terms of qualities or actually personal values that you carry, but just conceptually, I mean, this is a different level of commitment than hiring someone for a six month, you know, consulting contract to improve your sales process. Yeah, it's a I whole agree. Different thing. It's so different. It's very personal. It's okay. We're going to like entrust her with carrying this torch. And that is, you know, maybe hard for some CEOs to really even accept. Um, I, I really think that, you know, first and foremost, category exclusivity is important because you don't want companies saying, well, you know, she's evangelizing my, my technology, but then my competitor just hired her to do the same. That can't ever be a world that exists for this type of work. So category exclusivity. So as I create these categories, I ask myself, well, there's a, there's plenty of categories in the space, but when you, you know, really simplify it down, maybe there's 10 or 12 and which ones do I really believe in, but more so where do I have alignment and with everything that we're doing and what I'm even passionate about, right? The work of evangelism, the work of humanizing the brand, the work of, of just adding in more emotion into business, because we know what those outcomes are when you do that. There are categories of companies in my industry that are very aligned with those things. I'll give you an example, behavioral finance. The world of behavioral finance is all about, hey, let's go deeper with clients. It's not just managing money. It's managing the decisions they make behind their money and their why and their desires, their aspirations, their affinities. What is going to give them the happiest life, the richest life, and not in a sense of net worth, but in a sense of just fulfillment and happiness and family and all of those, those things. Um, that is something I absolutely love and I'm already behind, but I'm saying I can really get behind as an evangelist because here we are in our own space here talking about very similar threads and in, in its own light, if you will. Um, so that, that is definitely an area where you know, I think there's going to be so much greatness to talk about and I'm excited. Um, another example is podcasting or marketing in general, amplifying your voice that's exactly what evangelists do for a company. So imagine me partnering up with a company that's set out to do that for financial advisors. I think there's a lot of alignment there. So the reality with this work is that I probably won't be able to take on more than three or four clients. Um, and from conversations I've had so far and just kind of the comment you made, right? Like this is, you know, and even I made, this is such a personal thing. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, it's fractional it's, and when you think fractional, you think part-time, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to ever end. It can just me forever doing it part-time and them having that voice and that evangelist for their brand and me lifting up the other people in the company who would be excellent evangelists and don't maybe don't know it yet, or they're trying to do it and they need to be more intentional about it. Love it. And the, uh, to tie that back to the advantage I wanted to highlight, the longer someone commits to you, 
the more you're going to continue to learn and grow um, yep. and the value increases. Um, you already mentioned a couple of um, a couple of channels. I, I don't want to beat this up, but you know, share a little bit about how you're approaching maybe a menu of options. Cause you know, this is, let, let's just say you find a values commitment. Um, it's in, it's in a unique category that you can personally get excited about. It all seems pretty good. And you're, you're now you're laying out the puzzle pieces to say, what do you have in place? What do you think we need to get done? You know, what are some of your goals figuring out where you can fit in? And mm-hmm. here's a set of activities or channels or deliverables that fit in the zone. Like just, just walk through that as deep as you want to. Yeah, sure. So this is um this is an area where I'm just like I'm so grateful for just the world of being an evangelist because we know, you know, evangelism doesn't just sit on one department or under one, you know, main function of a business. You can be evangelizing on the sales side. I know, you know, Jen Allen Challenger, you you had her on your podcast and she's so wonderful and she told me she she wanted to keep the role tied into the sales department. And I think that was very wise of her for a lot of reasons. But there's evangelists that are only focused on customer outcomes and the success of the customer, the adoption, you know, fighting attrition, helping, you know, improve retention. So what I've really set out to do and sort of the model, and I'm sure this will shift plenty along the way. Uh, but the first thing is to dive deep and assess and discover. And that's going to take, you know, collaboration. It's not just me looking with a, a magnifying glass. It's me talking to the CEO, the CMO, the customer success leaders that they might have within the organization and finding where their biggest pain points are. From there, once I have that, right, building a plan, a game plan for how can we really best start to evangelize all the great things that you're doing to help with these challenges that you're having. What I've built is sort of a a full-blown list of every department within a company from sales to biz dev to partnerships, which if we even have a little bit of time, I'd love to touch on um, because it's such a, in my world, in my eyes, an underutilized department. And I think it's very well tied into evangelism um, to customer success to product. And so I create this, just this whole department map. And then underneath, I just share all the functions that we could be doing to support the outcomes of that division, be it revenue or other, you know, goals that they might have. So on the sales side, let's, let's make sure your pitch is perfect. Let's, let's coach your sales team so that they can build more emotional connections when they're on these calls so that they're more energetic, they're more magnetic, which I know sometimes is hard to coach on, but it can be done in certain ways. Um, all the way again to, to customer success, right? Hey, what's a webinar strategy you have right now for your customers? Are you connecting with them? What's the community that you've built? So it's almost like cherry picking, depending on what the organization's needs are, but you serve it up in a, in a platter up front, because what that does is shows them this is really big. This is not just a chief marketing officer. This is not just a chief revenue officer. It's like a step above a chief growth officer in a way, and I I hate to use the word above, but there's things happening all across the org, and it's going to be very individual. I love mapping it across the teams and departments. You could probably also map it across the customer lifecycle in the same way. I also like that you brought in the idea of um, internal evangelism. We haven't really touched on that here, but there's certainly plenty of opportunity there. And I'm sure you're talking about it when you're laying these opportunities out in front of people, but I would love to hear your thoughts on partnerships. Okay. All right. So, (laughs) um, I was thinking a lot about some of the challenges I had. So I was, you know, VP of enterprise development and that split off from sales to strategic partnerships, which yeah, was very challenging in a lot of ways because you're fighting for, you know, what are my goals today? Um, but on the partnership side, which is, you know, very much business development, right? Um, it was really hard to attribute success. And we were doing all these wonderful things. We were evangelizing. We were getting our partners to evangelize. We built a partner program from the ground up and we went from five distribution channels to over 75 distribution channels in three and a half years. And, you know, it was like, again, it was always kind of, well, what's the, what's the ROI or, well, how many sales did we get? Well, partnerships is more of a demand generation play. So, you know, we can look at sales, but you know, they, there's this long drop down of how'd you hear about us? And they're probably never choosing the right one half of the time. And so that's not going to help us in any way. Um, but that going back to that magic, right? Like we saw 
the just total transformation. And we started doing exclusive webinars for every single partner. At, at once a quarter, Diana would come on and she would evangelize and she would talk to your customers and people who were thinking about maybe becoming customers. She'd connect the dots. She'd position you as a thought leader at the same time. And man, Ethan, like, I don't know how to put it, but there was a lot done there. We 10X revenue in three years. I'm not saying it's all because of that, but I think there's a correlation here between how difficult it can be to attribute success to evangelizing. Also in the same realm, the world of partnerships and getting people to talk about you and evangelize your brand for you and what that can do. But it did a lot of wonderful things. I'll say that. You are so well-equipped to be on this mission that you're on. I'm so excited <laughs> for you. Um, let's, let's, we are nearing the end. I would love to hear from you um, what you observed, just tying back to your statement earlier about seeing a rise in conversations around uh, mm -hmm. tech evangelism in general. Talk about what you're observing and extend that into the future. Like, where do you think we're going here? Um, when will we have the 10th fractional uh, <laughs> chief evangelist? Wherever you want to, whatever you want to imagine about the future. Um, pick up on pick up on your research over the past handful of months. What is what excites you there, and and maybe what trajectory you're seeing and where that goes. Yeah, well, I think that the future of evangelism is very much going to be focused on differentiation. And we all know in today's day, especially myself, having just come from working for a marketing company, a MarTech company, that if you are not constantly evangelizing, and we can replace that word with talking about, right, the value of what you bring to your world, to your customers, then you're missing out. Right. If you're not out there online, if you're not, you know, creating that podcast or writing that blog or engaging in community, you know, environments with customers or potential customers or partners, even employees, right, then you're you are already lacking your edge. You're already lacking that competitive advantage. The companies that are doing this are going to be the companies that are really successful in the years ahead. And I just look at the world of the chief evangelist and that's exactly what I see. I see it is amplifying the story. I see it is creating the content, speaking, going out there, holding that torch, lighting up the market, like I like to say. And I see that as the biggest differentiator. I think post COVID world, holy moly, the amount of tech companies that have been born, even just in my own niche industry has skyrocketed. and how are you going to stand out from the other 20 technology companies in your, you know, direct arena? Well, an evangelist, I think is going to be the answer to that. So that's my take on the future of it. I'm excited for it. Who knows, maybe this business blows up and I have to hire other fractional chief evangelists. That would be just such a dream. I guess we'll have to reconvene. <laughs> love it. I love the network effect there um, or the idea of building a network. Um, so much good stuff there. I really appreciate where you're going with it. And it ties into something that I've observed and I think is increasingly true, which is that humans are their own best differentiator. Like at BombBomb, we do a ton of work with folks in financial advisory and financial management, in insurance, in mortgage, because there's such commoditized spaces from a, you know, from a B to C, from a service delivery perspective. And who you are is so fundamental to what you provide. And there are more differentiating aspects for software, like you already mentioned, like UI and UX, for example, and you know, what, what is the product experience and how intuitive is it and all there are other ways to differentiate, but I still think on top of all of that, um, the human embodiment and the human expression of what you bring, how you are different, your point of view about the world, the way that you're approaching this, like it, you've, you've described a number of ways, like, like a category, I guess we'll call it you know, they're all approximately trying to address the same problem or opportunity, but where you're coming at that problem or opportunity from and the way that you're solving it and what it feels like to solve it that way with you is the differentiator. I think I'm with you hundred percent on the idea that putting a human in front of that and in allowing humans to experience that message in multiple formats and multiple channels, including straight out of a human being's full body and full spirit. I'll go super woo with you on that. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think it's a, th I think it's a thing. So, um, okay. Last question for you. It's a fun one. What is something that you find yourself evangelizing in your own personal life, or perhaps that a friend or a family member has accused you of evangelizing? 
<laughs> That's funny. Oh, I like this question. Um, well, I'm constantly evangelizing um, health. <laughs> so, you know, before I got into financial services, I worked in, you know, herbal um, health stores, like natural foods and supplements. And I was just, you know, I went to business school and I was reading naturopathic medicine, medicine books all day long in my classes. So um, I'm a big, big fan of getting to root problems. <laughs> funny enough. And I am always thinking about, well, this, something's not feeling right here. Let's dig deeper there and understand why, whether it's the liver or it's your kidneys or just stress in general, what can we do to really like tone that down a bit? And I turn to just an incredible line of herbal supplements. I'll give a plug to Organic Olivia. She's one of the best herbalists I've known. I've been following her for over 10 years. And anytime a family member or even a friend has a problem, I'm like, oh, you need some liver juice. And so they all like laugh and call me Dr. Diana, but I evangelize health and just getting to root problems. Yeah. That is so good. I'm glad that I asked that. And that's a topic for our next conversation, which will not be a podcast episode, I don't <laughs> think. But I have a lot of questions and uh, stories around that. I, I love that you just shared that with me and with everyone listening and watching. Um, yeah. If people want to connect with you, they want to learn more about what you're up to. They maybe want to learn more about the service that you're bringing to market. Um, where would you point people to follow up on this? Yes. So first and foremost, my website, which at this point will be launched and I'm really excited about it. Dianacabrises.com. Um, my last name is weird. It's like cab rice and then an S if that helps at all. Dianacabrises.com. I'm on Twitter as well um, at Dianacabrises. I'm on LinkedIn, Dianacabrises. So these are a few channels where you can connect with me, shoot me a DM. If you're thinking about, you know, really becoming a, a chief evangelist or working the path to get to that. And you just want someone to talk to, especially as a woman working in the world of technology, I would love, love, love to talk to you. So those are some of the channels you can find me at. Awesome. Definitely reach out to Diana, hit the 30 second back button and write those things down <laughs> or wherever you're listening to this podcast, I'll link all that stuff up as well. Diana, I appreciate you. I appreciated this conversation as well as all of our previous ones that we did not record. Thank you for spending this time with us. I love the journey that you're on and I'm excited to follow up and see where it goes. Thank you so much, Ethan. Take care. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. -E -E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.